Welcome to The Indicator, which is a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the award-winning reporters at the Colorado Independent. It happens every week in the run-up to the November midterm elections. Looking at the gubernatorial race, but also other election issues that are really also impacting the governor's race as well. Today, we're speaking with Lars Gussing, who has written two pieces on two of the most controversial ballot measures. One of them, Proposition 112, which would increase setbacks for new oil and gas developments to 2,500 feet from sensitive areas and buildings. And the other one is Amendment 74. Lars, thanks for being with us. Of course. Nice to be with you. Well, before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of uh, why these two pieces are controversial, uh, just to remind our listeners exactly, I said what Prop 112 is all about. Amendment 74 on the surface seems to be a little bit different, but in many ways it's very much connected. Yes, it is indeed. Um, Amendment 74 is basically um, seeking um, property owners um, a right for property owners to um, seek compensation from the government, from a local government, if uh, regulation that that government uh, passed would impact the value of that property. So um, we can talk in more in more detail. One one just one example would be if a farmer would, for example, try to put up a um, um, a make an addition to to his facilities and government regulation would uh, prevent him from doing so. Under this new law, he would have it much easier than is currently the law to seek compensation. So I know that a lot of people are concerned about Amendment 74 because of who is financing this, because there is a huge amount of money being pumped into Amendment 74 by the oil and gas industry. Correct. Um, it's the oil and gas industry who is sort of the monetary muscle behind uh, the amendment um, and the and the measure on the, on the ballot this this year. Um, it's the Farm Bureau though who has officially brought forward uh, the measure um, and who is sort of the public face of it. But it is very much the oil and gas industry and. Um, money groups um, like Protect Colorado that also happens to be the driving force behind Proposition 112 um, that is funding this. They put $4 million into the signature gathering process. And as a result of that, um, it is they turned in 209,000 uh, signatures to get it on the ballot. And that is a record. There were lots of very slick ads out there on TV and social media with various different Coloradoans who say they're teachers or veterans who say people should vote for Amendment 74 if if they want to honour property rights and, and you know people's livelihood. I mean, tell us a little bit about the advertising campaign and how that is working or maybe not be working with Colorado voters. Well, in the end, this is um, sort of an extension of this conflict that we have seen play out in Colorado for years now, where it's uh, the question of local control and how much should local governments be able to um, restrict um things happening within their jurisdictions. And when we talk about this, it's particularly um, oil and gas developments and mineral, mineral rights, mineral rights owners are oftentimes happen to be farmers, which is why it's part of the reason why the Farm Bureau is the is the public face of this campaign. Um, they are trying to um, sort of gain the upper hand in, in this debate of local control versus um, 
monetary interests of, of the industry um, when in the past it has been the case that um, jurisdictions like Boulder and Longmont, for example, have voted in the past to try to ban fracking outright within their jurisdictions. The Supreme Court has struck that down saying uh, state law allows for such development to happen, so um, communities can't do that. Um, now communities under this, um, if this, uh, if the if Proposition One Twelve were to pass, which is sort of jumping from seventy four to one twelve, but they are so interconnected that it's hard to to draw a line between them. If one twelve were to pass the setback measure, they would uh, gain a lot more um, ability to um, to um, limit oil and gas within their uh, within their. Um, um, within their boundaries. When it comes to the advertising, and I'm sorry, I sort of deviated there a little bit. Uh, it's it's very hard to um, um, take for for face value the um, the advertising campaign. And again, 112 and Amendment 74 are sort of interconnected. When it comes to 112, um, there has been teachers who... Um, um, have spoken out in these ads, the uh, oil and gas industry and Protect Colorado trying to make the case that if um, 112 were to limit um, oil and gas development, the state would lose a lot of money, a lot of tax money, and that money would then not be able to go to um, education funding. Whereas um, it is the case, for example, that if a if a school district is facing a budgetary shortfall, um, the general fund would have to chip in. So that is sort of the the general basis there. But then, of course, if the general fund dollars go towards supplementing um, education dollars, then that money cannot be spent on other public projects. So it's it's tough to 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 just take these these advertisings for for face value, which is why I would encourage everybody to read up on these issues before um, before voting. Well, getting back to Amendment 74, and we will talk a lot more about Prop 112 because it's been such an interesting journey to even get that on the ballot in the first place. But Amendment 74, you talked about, you mentioned there are some Supreme Court cases around local control, most notably for certainly our listeners, the overturning of the vote approved ban of on fracking in Longmont that the Supreme Court uh, sided against Longmont. However, there was a case back in 2001 where the Colorado Supreme Court sided with La Plata County. And this was an issue where a property owner wanted to develop a sand and gravel operation. And this seems to hark now, many 17 years later, to what we're seeing on Amendment 74. Can you take us back to that and maybe talk about, are there actual cases of property owners losing value because of government action? Yes, it's uh, this case that you reference, uh, the Supreme Court case in 2001, Colorado Supreme Court case, decision um, is very much at the at the heart of uh, Amendment 74. And so it's been an issue that has um, come around a long time before this year. So it goes all the way back to 2001 when there was a property owner who was trying to develop a sand and gravel operation in La Plata County on his, on his property, but the property had just been zoned as a floodplain. And so he, uh, that property owner couldn't uh, just put up the sand and gravel operation uh, as he wanted to. He sued. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, no, um, the uh, local government has 
authority um, to um, regulate uh, larger stretches of land, even if um, that property falls within it. And it's that's sort of the legal issue that is at heart here. When when we look at sort of how the law defines um, the the crux behind Amendment 74 right now, it's really twofold. There is, um, at uh, on the one hand, there is um, a regulatory taking, um, which is really um, what this case goes to, where it is um, the government imposes some sort of, of regulation um, and it decreases the value of um, of the land of a property owner. The property owner will have a really, really hard time as the law stands right now um, to get compensated monetarily for it. Basically, the only way he would get compensated f- uh, for it is if the government were to pretty much take his property completely or the equivalent if in the regulatory taking sense would be if a government regulation would decrease the value of the property so much that it's basically a government taking of the whole property. So so to break it down a little bit more, it's um, if the government regulation leaves some room for the property owner to do something still with his property, to still get monetary value out of his property, then that that owner will have a really hard time to, to make a takings claim as it stands right now. The reasoning from the Supreme Court being that uh, you cannot just look at one regulation on its, on its take it for its face value. One regulation might have a... Um, negative impact on um, a, a property owner, whereas another set of regulations might very well increase that property. And Amendment 74, and that is one of the points that the critics raise a lot, is, well, it only seems to take effect when there is negative effects. What if there is positive effects of regulation on a property value, which happens all the time as well? Um, they are not, the government can't ask for money back, pretty much. Well, in terms of the critics of this measure, you mentioned some of the criticism of it. As I would imagine, local governments are certainly very critical about this. Uh, local authorities are very critical about this. But who are who are the folks who are most vocal in asking people to vote no on Amendment Seventy Four? It certainly is the uh, the local governments, and it's uh, the for my story, for example, I spoke to the Colorado Municipal League, um, sort of the group that represents a lot of the the local municipalities in the state. They um, think that it is not a good idea to to do this because they say it would have two th- two things: it would have a chilling effect on future regulations, um, and it would cost. Um, particularly smaller and not as affluent um, communities, a lot of money potentially. And there is um, some um, research that backs this up. Colorado would not be the first state to um, to pass a measure, measure like this if it does indeed pass and it needs, as an amendment, it needs 55%. And I think the odds are still, from everything that we've seen, um, pretty steep that it actually does pass. But there is a chance, of course. And if it does, Colorado would not be the first one. Florida passed something similar and researchers found that it definitely had a um, a chilling effect on on future regulations, uh, um, on regulations that municipalities were trying to pass because they said, uh, we can't we can't do this because we might get sued for it, and then we don't have the money to to pay for these lawsuits. Um, so 
that is the one thing. And the other thing, um, Oregon is the second state. They tried something similar. Uh, I think it was in 2004. And three years later, um, they pretty much reversed it at the ballot box um, because um, it costs millions and millions and millions of dollars for local communities um, to um, pay out um, to upset property owners. I think you say in your article that in Oregon, uh, local governments had to pay out $4.5 billion before it was uh, voted again on by uh, voters in Oregon to basically remove it from the Constitution. Now, those two states, though, Florida and Oregon, arguably their measures that were in place weren't even as broad as what could happen with Amendment 74. So it could be even an even bigger impact on local authorities if voters approve Amendment 74. Correct, because there are no exemptions, for example, as as is uh, as Amendment 74 is written right now. That's that's one of the points that the Municipal League, for example, is raising. And I think it, it even goes beyond just uh, just local communities who are argue uh, who are vocally against this. Um, it is um, the Democratic um, candidate for Governor Jared Polis is against this. Um, the Republican uh, candidate, Walker Stapleton, is not quite as as vocal about it and basically has said that he supports the through a sta- uh, through a spokesperson that he supports the principle behind it, um, but that it's the legislature that should um, deal with this issue and not uh, and not voters at the at the ballot box. Um, I think what's what's interesting as well is that um, <clears throat> the Farm Bureau um, is basically saying, well, this might pass, but all of these criticisms that we just talked about are somewhat overstated. They're saying, oh, there is no real um, evidence uh, that would suggest that there would be all these uh, that courts would take a much broader view of of regulatory takings law if this were to pass. And that's sort of a curious argument um, when you just think about it. And it's something that uh, law scholars that I talked to uh, for this for this story on 74 uh, thought that they have raised with me is um, it for a constitutional amendment to get on the ballot um, in the past, people would uh, would have tried to fix something that they thought was very um, was a very serious problem and would ha- and they are seeking a very serious fix to it. The argument from the Farm Bureau to say, oh, basically saying, ah, don't worry about it if this passes. There is it it isn't going to do that much. Is is interesting for an amendment to the Colorado Constitution. We're speaking with Lars Gessing on The Indicator, which is a weekly podcast between now and the November midterm elections, a collaboration between KGNU and the award-winning reporters at the Colorado Independent. You can read Lars's articles on the conversation we're having today, Amendment 74 and Prop 112, online at coloradoindependent.com. Well, in terms of getting back to that connection between the two measures, I know you spoke with uh, Eric Sonderman, who's an independent political analyst, and he said Amendment 74 is a bit like an insurance policy for the oil and gas industry against Prop 112. So let's remind our listeners again the connection between the two. If Prop 112 passes and uh, there will be increased setbacks up to 2,500 feet. How would Amendment 74, if that were also to pass, how would that then play in? 
Um, we can, if we just look at 112, it would, as you, as you pointed out, it would increase this, the setback areas from where oil and gas drilling can happen and where uh, mineral extraction can happen. So um, that would mean that a lot of minerals in the ground would probably have to stay in the ground under Proposition 112. If people have bought rights to those minerals, um, if... Um, the oil and gas industry is trying to develop um, resources, they would stand to lose a lot of money um, if 112 were to pass and those resources would have to stay in the ground. So basically, going back to 74, under Amendment 74, if this were also to pass, um, they would have it much easier to make a claim to a local community, but also to the state um, to say, hey, reimburse us for um, the financial losses we are taking um, because you guys decided that Proposition 112 um, is something that you guys want. I know that uh, the Colorado Independent has been doing a series, Ask the Indie, and getting questions from readers on, you know, some of the the big questions around some of these issues. And given that there is so much misinformation and so much other information that is put out there and a very well-funded opposition campaign for Prop 112, I think a lot of people do have questions. So we'll go through some of the questions that you've heard from from, uh, readers of the Colorado Independent. And one of them is a talking point that's often hammered by the opposition saying that Proposition 112, even though the text of uh, the the ballot measure says nothing about a, a ban, it is a de facto ban. What's your answer to that for people who have concerns? Is this an outright ban on fracking in the state? Um, that pretty much goes back to a study that the oil and gas, the Colorado Oil and Gas um, Conservation Commission did. And they found that if Proposition 112 were to pass, 85% of non-federal land, and this is important, it, this uh, Proposition 112 would only affect um, state land. It would not affect federal lands. Um, it, so 85% of that non-federal land within Colorado would be off limits um, to future oil and gas drilling. And again, that is also an important point. It is future oil and gas drilling because wells that are active right now would still be allowed to be drilled Yes, eventually they will run out, and so um, down the road, um, it would uh, it would seriously impact and limit the ability um, of oil and gas developers to um, find new spaces to um, to develop um, to develop oil and gas resources. That goes even up, and I have to look at my notes here for a second so that I don't. Um, um, say this wrong, but in um, in the top five oil and gas producing counties in, uh, in, in Colorado, that uh, number would even go to 94%. So it's 85% statewide of non-federal land in the top five oil and gas producing counties within Colorado. That number would go to 94%. This is what the um, Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission has found. So that's sort of where that claim is coming from. There are for sure, um, there is for sure context that is uh, that is missing there, and it sort of that sort of goes into another question that we have gotten from from multiple readers, and that is, well, 
what about horizontal drilling? You can still set off um, set large amounts of land off limits for vertical drilling. What about horizontal drilling? That is also a difficult question to answer, really, and uh, because a it is a um, a um, financial um, financial problem for the oil and gas industry. They would. Um, have to spend more money on that. And um, there are also um, structural and sort of um, engineering problems with that because pipe doesn't just bend around a corner already. Most oil and gas drilling in Colorado is being done horizontally. Um, so basically you would still have to put the pad, the, the well pad outside of this 2,500 foot setback area if, if Proposition 112 were to pass. And then you would even have to, to go farther away because you would have to drill at an angle because you, before you can um, drill completely horizontal, if that makes sense. It's a little bit technical, but basically you can't drill just straight down into the ground and then um, go at a 90 degree angle and say, okay, from here on out, we're drilling horizontally. But instead you have to um, drill at an angle, which increases the distance, which increases um, costs, but also um, the rights to the ground in which can be drilled um, for the oil and gas industry. What's interesting in this context of horizontal drilling is that uh, Peter Maniloff, a, an economist at the Colorado School of Mines, um, has done an analysis um, where he basically took a radius of one mile of horizontal drilling and has said, okay, if we can, we know that we can drill for a mile horizontally, how would horizontal drilling then be factored into um, the Colorado Oil and Gas uh, Conservation Commission study and the impact of, of 112? And he has found that instead of 85% that of, um, of non-federal land that would be off limits, it would be 58% um, that that would be off limits. So it's still a lot. It's still more than half of, of non-federal land in Colorado that would be off limits, but it's not 85% anymore. Um, there is, you also need to mention that um, it's not possible to drill horizontally everywhere and at all times because it depends on the geological features of, of the ground. Um, Manilov also told me that it's a lot of the when we talk, for example, about the um, um, Denver Jewels, uh, the the basin in in Weld County, um, there would you would set the the good parts, is how he put it. You would still set the good parts off limits. So even though you can reach more, you might not be able to to reach the most uh, potent parts of of um, a basin. Well, one of the big uh, talking points by the opposition is that this would cost tens if not hundreds of thousands of jobs in Colorado if Prop 112 were to pass. And of course, the proponents of Prop 112 say that's ridiculous. So what have you found when you dig into that question? Um, several things. Um, it is important to point out that uh, in this analysis of how many jobs would get lost, um, it's based on a on a business group um, study um, that they did, and they they found indeed that uh, by by twenty thirty, one hundred and forty seven thousand jobs would get lost. That about one third of no within the, sorry within the next eleven years. So I guess yes, twenty uh, twenty twenty nine twenty thirty, uh, one hundred and forty seven thousand jobs would get lost. 
about a third of that happening uh, by as early as next year. And 77% is how they put it would not even be within the oil and gas sector itself. So it's important to understand that the oil and gas sector in Colorado makes up only about 1% of the state's workforce. It's about, um, latest numbers show that it's about 30,000 jobs that are directly uh, impacted um, or that are directly contributable to um, the oil and gas industry. But it goes it goes beyond that, and it's the 77% number that that they are citing, sort of the multiplier effect, how economists, what more, uh, economists are, are calling it, that if the oil and gas industry and oil and gas workers uh, are making less money that will affect they will have less money to spend local businesses will will be affected local restaurants will be affected um oil and gas um jobs are very good paying jobs they are um a ceo boulder study found a few years ago that they uh the average annual salary there is above a hundred thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars and that the oil and gas industry in 2011 contributed uh 3.8 billion dollars in uh employee income to uh colorado workers so those are those are stark numbers and that money um, a majority of the money that we make we spend locally. That's also something that economists um, like to point out. So it is very hard to um, to pinpoint right now what the what the ripple effects could be on on businesses outside of uh, of the oil and gas sector itself. But it's also contractors um, who might have less who might have less business. So there's there's a lot to it. At the same time, when we just look at the jobs on wells and oil and gas uh, jobs, developer jobs, those are oftentimes very transient jobs, meaning that one well gets drilled and then eventually it runs out and then these workers move on to a new well. And um, a lot of the uh, oil and gas industry contributors to this campaign are, for example, Noble Energy. They are not just in Colorado. They have oil and gas operations all over the U.S., so it is possible that a that their workers would move no matter what happens with one twelve if one well runs out they could move to to uh, southern Wyoming they don't necessarily need to stay in their community another um, economist who I spoke with at the uh, the School of Mines um, told me that it would be especially smaller oil and gas um, operations and uh, and um, companies that would be impacted by this because they are more bound to what is happening here locally whereas bigger players would uh, would be able to just kind of move uh, move things around a little bit then you talk about um, Colorado's uh, growth and Colorado's unemployment rate right now. Colorado's unemployment rate is at 2.9% right now. Um, the the economy here in the state added 1,500 jobs just in the month of October, uh, just in the month of August. There is about 100,000 people who are moving here every single year. Would it have an an effect, and would it have a, a would it have an effect on specifically the um, the oil and gas sector and people employed in the oil and gas sector, I think there is uh, sufficient evidence to say that it would. It's very hard to um, to measure right now what that would be, but to say that Colorado's overall economy and overall workforce is going to take 
a mortal hit is might be a little bit of an overstatement because, and that is also something that uh, that said economist at the School of Mines, Ian Lang, who uh, reviewed that uh, business study before it was published, told me that if the oil and gas industry um, and jobs would uh, sort of shift, there would be other people who are who would be taking up the slack. Um, right now because Colorado's economy is so much more diverse than it was, for example, 30 or 40 years ago when the oil, oil price tanked in, in the 80s, Denver had a real problem because so much of the industry here was, uh, and so much of the economy here relied on the oil and gas sector. That is no longer necessarily the case. It's The oil and gas sector is is a a potent contributor to the um, to the Colorado economy, um, but to put job numbers in perspective, I said about thirty thousand uh, people are directly employed in the oil and gas sector. In the recreational sector in Colorado, that number is three hundred and fifty thousand, so more than ten times that. And there's sort of this perennial conflict as well between uh, recreational spaces and setting certain limits, certain areas of limits to make sure it's uh, it recreational activities are not impacted by um, by oil and gas development and the and the need and the want of the industry to uh, to develop those resources so um, there's a lot of context to it and a lot of a lot of sort of facts and figures that are not that don't fit into a 30 second um, ad campaign but because the oil and gas industry stands to lose so much um, they are going all out right now they have raised, they have contributed, Protect Colorado has uh, gotten more than $34 million of contributions so far this cycle. And it's basically all all Protect Colorado is doing is mostly on 112 and a little bit of work on, on Amendment 74. Uh, in comparison, the group um, that is, is behind this setback measure and that brought it on to the ballot through a grassroots uh, organized effort with the help of some national environmental organizations. Um, they have less than, and let me uh, double check here my numbers right now, but they basically have gotten less than a million dollars of uh, contributions so far. So there is a very, very stark um, contrast in the ability to get the message out and sort of to get the arguments out, which is why when we switch on the TV right now, we're seeing all these vote no on Proposition 112 ads. We are seeing all these billboards when you drive through downtown Denver. We are seeing all these all these yard signs vote no. Um, that is in part not necessary because a majority of Coloradans opposes it. Um, the numbers that we've seen so far we always have to take them with a grain of salt, but show that it is very much a, a toss-up right now whether or not this will pass. But if we were to just sort of take in the PR campaign, we would think, oh, everybody in Colorado is opposing it because the money uh, behind it is so lopsided. Something that you mentioned a, a few minutes ago about some of the research, one of those studies was by the CU uh, School of Business, the lead school of business. And, and there was a big report done by the Boulder Weekly on that, show, showing that there were that was very much funded by the oil and gas industry. So when we're looking at studies and when we're looking at different campaigns who bring forward these studies, there's very little context given as to the context of those studies themselves. That makes uh, the job for... Um 
the everyday citizen very hard to uh, to figure out what's actual truth. I I can tell you that I've spent almost two weeks looking into uh, into this uh, into this. Um, issue itself, Proposition 112, and trying to find answers to, to, these, um, to, these, um, to these questions that we've been getting from, from readers because they, we've heard from a lot of readers reaching out to us, basically asking us just the plain and simple questions. We don't know what to believe. Please tell us what to believe. And the result is a 4,000-word essay, pretty much, that, that I wrote for, for The Independent, where I can provide context, but I can't provide definitive answers because the problem is and remains that a lot of the arguments around this is trying to anticipate what the economy will do in the future. And it depends on so many different factors, one of them being the oil price. Um, what does the oil price do? It's, uh, it's um, projected to rise within the next a uh, few years, so that could help offset some of the potential financial impacts for for the oil and gas industry. At the same time, it's sort of the the rainy day um, mentality of okay, when the oil price ri- rises, we want to um, do as much development as possible, so that we can we can increase our profits as much as possible for those times when the oil price might take a hit. And there is just there is just so many so many different factors. The school of uh, the the Colorado School of Mines. Um, I've spoken to um, some economists and and professors there. Um, they are obviously working fairly closely with the industry, um, and it's it's very hard to oh, to always definitively definitively determine if a person is just telling you um, their opinion or sort of what what ulterior motives there might be. And um, I would encourage everybody, and I have to do this pitch here, I guess, is to actually go and, and read the story. I think that it does provide a lot of context that might make it easier for, for people to make a decision. But undoubtedly, Proposition 112 is one of the toughest um, the toughest uh, ballot measures this year in terms of trying to figure out the impacts that it will have long term. There is an author, a journalist, an author who uh, wrote a book on on fracking and uh, sort of looking into this argument that fracking would be the tool to achieve American energy independence. And she's saying, hold on, not so fast. It is a potent tool, but it's not the be all end all uh, tool to achieve American energy independence. And she pretty much said that throughout my work for this book, I have found one thing, and that is um, trying to predict um, the future when it comes to oil and gas, the oil and gas sector um, is pretty much impossible to do because there are so many different factors that um, that influence that that development. Well, aside from the economic argument, which seems to be the main argument of the very well-funded campaign against Prop 112, at the crux, I suppose, at uh, of the proponents of 112 is saying that if this is passed, it will make Colorado safer, safer for people's health, safer for the environment and, and safer overall. If you look at, you know, uh, the house explosion that we saw over a year ago uh, related to oil and gas. So I know that was one of the questions that uh, readers also asked. Will Prop 112 actually make Colorado safer? And I think there... Um 
a vast majority of the research points to the answer being yes to that question in general. Um, the um, opponents of this this measure, um, they also um, cite a, a study um, that says um, that was done by uh, the Colorado Department of uh, Public Health and Environment in 2017 that reviewed uh, existing research up to that point, and they um, found that no substantially heightened health risks um, close in communities close to oil and gas development sites um, were were being detected. That same port, report, however, said that there would be more research necessary, and there is a plethora of studies that show that uh, fracking does have um, negative um, health impacts. Um, it, the, if you live close to a well research shows and not just one or two studies, um, research shows that you have a higher risk of, of cancer, of asthma, of low weight, uh, of low birth weight babies, headaches, bloody noses. And that goes beyond just the things that we have seen with, uh, with House with the house explosion last year, um, a Denver Post investigation after that incident found that there was a, a number of, of other explosions that happened afterwards. And it's not just explosions and, de and deadly incidents um, that are an argument and that should be considered in this, in this safety debate, but it's also the amount of uh, times that um, that oil and gas wells and oil and gas operations do um, run into leaks, um, which is almost twice a day, a study found. Um, and so when you hear um, opponents of this say, oh, um, these safety um, concerns are, are way overstated because it's actually very safe and there's barely any people who are getting, who are getting killed by oil and gas uh, development, Yes, that is true, but that is not the only consideration when it comes to determining how safe something is. Well, getting back to the gubernatorial race, I know that both candidates, well, the both main candidates, the Democrat, Jared Polis and the Republican, Walker Stapleton, have both come out against Prop 112. But as you said earlier, neither have really taken a firm position on Amendment 74. However, in an election year where getting people out to vote is going to be crucial and just numbers showing up at the ballot box, will Prop 112 and Amendment 74 serve uh, any kind of purpose for either candidate in terms of bringing out the base and getting people out to just vote in general? I think that's that's. That's a difficult question because in part of um, Jared Polis's um, past when it comes to um, fracking measures. Um, back in 2014, uh, you may remember he um, was the driving force behind um, some very strict um, measures on, uh, on, on fracking that would have essentially... Um, banned fracking too or made it very very hard uh, for that to occur they actually ended up not on uh, not on the ballot because there was a there was a compromise uh, that was being brokered sort of last minute but because of that a lot of uh, a lot of his very liberal um, supporters were um, were angry with him back then um, for for even making that compromise 
and sort of him seeing, saying now, no, I oppose this because Proposition 112, because this goes too far, is sort of a step further and is sort of his nod to not representing just the congressional district that encompasses Boulder anymore, but he is trying to run for an office that represents all of Colorado and um, which includes people that are very opposed to uh, to a measure like this. I want to say one thing that I sort of left out of uh, this the safety uh, debate um, the, or the safety question that you just posed uh, a few minutes ago, and that is um, that there are also environmental concerns about uh, fracking and um, there is sort of this this fraction, and especially in communities like Boulder, that is making a very hard push to get the state to to um, embrace renewable energies even even farther. And then we've seen this uh, United Nations uh, report on climate change coming out a few weeks ago that basically said, "Hey, people, we need to uh, embrace some uh, some unprecedented measures here um, if we want to stop climate change." I think the the whole issue of of our changing climate climate and of uh, environmental impacts um, also really plays into this at a time when at the national level, President Trump withdrew from the uh, from the Paris uh, climate agreement. He is trying to um, loosen regulations on the oil and gas industry, for example, when it comes to um, well sites being able to release methane into the air, um, methane being a very, very potent um, greenhouse gas. Uh, so that is a whole other issue that also plays into this and um, with the climate and the environment being a very, um, very important issue, in, especially in a state like Colorado. I think that has a lot to do with how people will respond to this as well. Well, people can read your pieces online at coloradoindependent.com. Lars Gessing has written about Prop 112 and Amendment 74, just two of the many statewide ballot questions voters in Colorado are deciding on this November. Thanks very much for being with us, Lars. Of course. You've been listening to The Indicator, a weekly collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the Colorado Independent. You can catch new episodes every week between now and the elections and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Indicator and find out more at coloradoindependent.com. For KGNU, I'm Maeve Conran. Thank you.